So hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Global Lab. I'm Stephen Greer and I am your other host, Martin zoltz Austwick. We've got something very exciting for you this week, haven't we Stephen? Yeah, we're going to be talking to uh, James Cheshire and we're going to be talking to him about his research and well, surnames. You may have seen his surname research in the National Geographic magazine. Wow. Or International Geographic it should probably be called, you can get it all over the place. Yeah. Cool. So he's an international celebrity of the geography world. Yes. And James Tisher. And uh, the celebrity of the CASA department. So, Martin, what have you been up to this week? Well, uh, nice of you to ask, Stephen. Actually, I've been at the Green Man Festival. That doesn't sound like an academic conference to me. No, well, it t- technically it's not an academic conference. Uh, the Green Man uh, Festival is a festival in the Brecon Beacons in South Wales. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it's very good. It's a beautiful part of the world. It's uh, and it's, it's it's generally a music festival. That's that's its, it's, oh, cool. its main draw. But as part of uh, Green Man, there's a, a, an area called Einstein's Garden. It's, oh. a, it's a beautiful rural site. You've got this lovely field which has... Uh, I mean, last year there was someone knitting neurons as part of the Knit a Neuron project. So is it kind of gardens about physics rather than actual Einstein's own garden? No, it, it's, it's a sort of area of the festival, like a field essentially, which is, which is devoted to science. And it's not just physics, it's uh, oh, okay. biology and, and newer science. And, um, and so there's all sorts of things going on there. Um, I was there um, both as a musician, I, I play in a band, and I, we were playing songs about science at this, at this little uh, solar-powered stage called, this, um, called the Solar Stage cool. uh, at Einstein's Garden. But also I was there to take part in Bright Club. Bright Club, isn't that the kind of uh, science research comedy night that we have here at UCL. Yeah, well, it's uh, so it's interesting. It's it's a night that's all over the country now. Oh, wow, so it's spread out. Yeah. Well, it started off at UCL uh, with a, a guy called Steve Cross who, who set one up in London. Oh, yeah. Uh, with with, um, with with a woman called Miriam Miller. Uh, but now there's places all over the country. There's one in Manchester, there's York. I've had them in Edinburgh, Brighton, Bristol, I think Glasgow. Oh, my Your hometown. hometown. <laughs> it's hard to describe it because, it, you know, I'm going to make it sound a bit naff. It's like, it's like stand-up about science and research. It's not just scientists, it's historians and all kinds of people. And, and what, what, what we, we do is we get up and we do eight minutes of entertaining material about our research. But it's not a kind of like a, a neutron walks into a bar. <laughs> it's, it, it's more like... A, it's like more, that classic chestnut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was a joke, actually. We heard the joke. The proton walks into a bar. And says, I'd like a, a baby sham with a shot of vodka in it. And the barman says, are you positive? Oh, God. Although, in the same in the same vein, you know, a Hig Bo- Boson walks into a church. And the priest says, what, what, what are you doing here? And he goes, Higgs Boson says, well, you can't have mass without me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's... People who are thinking they're coming to Bright Club, it's not like that. <laughs> it's really, it's really a lot of fun. Um, and I would say that because I performed. But they are, I mean, it's more like it's people talking about the work that they do, and, re- and they're really enthusiastic about it. They really enjoy it, and they really love it. And and a lot of them have got some really funny stories. So if you you're the sort of person that translates, um, you know, Norse poetry, or you maybe like study horse physiology, you, you might have seen that's a little bit dry. But they have some really funny stories. So that was a that was a great deal of fun. And and, and the Green Man event. I mean, there was a lot of people talking over the weekend there were lots and lots of academics uh, people from UCL and and from other places coming in to to talk about their work and it was really really a lot of fun cool so on a slightly less uh, positive note there's been some some stuff in the news regarding internet privacy hasn't there Steve? yeah well a lot of a uh, lot of websites have been a uh, unwittingly giving away uh, user data so oh wow um, this does not sound good no and it doesn't uh, so, so so what's the latest 
Uh, so I think Nokia, the big next, next big company to follow. I mean, we're talking about big companies here, not just like little kind of yeah. uh, your kind of online shops and your little kind of stores that you might buy stuff on. Uh, Nokia is major one of the major forums. So what happened with Nokia? When did that happen? Uh, very recently, a couple of days ago. Just uh, the uh, some hackers. As yep. they call them, uh, came onto the websites and did some kind of jiggery pokery with some magic. I don't really want to go into the technical uh, explanations. The <laughs> oh, so thing is, you know how it's done, but you don't want to spread that information around. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, so they've kind of got access to the databases, the information stored into the databases. I mean, for Nokia, it wasn't so bad because it was like usernames, email addresses, you know, passwords. Okay, fine, passwords are encrypted, but there's still, you know, you've got the, uh, you know, this data that's coming out and emails can be changed, but uh, this has been happening quite a lot over the last couple of weeks. But increasingly, we're encouraged to put as much out there as we can, aren't we? Because... I mean, for, so for convenience, things like internet banking, I mean, that makes everyone's life easier. Yeah. But also, you know, um, a lot of these online shopping places, they want to keep your credit card details so that it's it's easier for you to shop and there's less barrier oh, yeah. for entry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so they can quickly buy their, their products. Exactly. But there's a responsibility then that comes for them to be extra careful about the information well, yeah. that you've given for them. Yeah, exactly. Them. And, I mean, this is coming to be quite, a, uh, I wouldn't say a new field, but it's you know the rising of a uh, social media you know people if they want to find out more about you to try and guess passwords try and get into your mm. accounts they, if you go and look at their facebook account you yeah. go and look at their twitter account they can get information about you that makes but potentially make it easier to get your passwords so, i can't use the classic one is your mother's maiden name for me i can't use that because my middle name is my mother's maiden name uh, right, so okay. you know that's me kind of scuppered and if i if i wasn't so if I wasn't so aware of this problem, you know, mm. I could just use that and people yeah. could go and see my website and they've got the middle name. Oh, there you go. You're into my banking details. I'm, I'm going to start using my maiden name. Oh, yeah. Your maiden name is... It's almost the same as my yeah. maiden name. <laughs> also, Martin, this week there was a news article about Cornell University. Uh-huh. Uh, bringing together two chatbots 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 so chatbot is a kind of a computer program designed to emulate a a human talking and into the messenger so wait so so like um on uh, national rail you've got lisa haven't you have yeah you've been on the national rail yeah. website and yeah and, and you know say so well, i'd like to go to, to croydon and then she goes the wee avatar pops I d- up i don't know where that is <laughs> it's it's croydon it's in london <laughs> i don't know where croydon is do you want to go to london no i'm already in london and you have this infuriating conversation with her so yeah these, right, like that. So, okay. so these chatbots are designed to try and pass what in computer science was called the Turing test and Turing well, the Turing test Turing test named after Alan Turing and it's kind of trying to emulate human intelligence and the test basically is a human is put in front of a computer with mm-hmm. a chat window and yeah. they're either told they're either they have to decide whether they're talking to a human another human or another or actually one of these chatbots or a robot yeah if they if they can fool the human that they're human. user that they're human then they've passed the Turing test now yeah. there's been a few chatbots that have got close to passing the uh, yeah. Turing test I don't think there's actually one who has actually been to uh, actually glo- came with a glowing report right. out of this but 
Cornell University have designed these chatbots, and there's two. It's a really cool video which we'll put links on to, yeah, uh, onto our website where they have two these chatbots talking to each other, and it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> they're talking to each other, and there's one's telling another the one's a chatbot, and the other one's like, "No, I'm not a robot." And either oh, they're, they're so quick witted. It's, it's quite funny. <laughs> so they've actually got these two robots trying to convince one another that, that they're human. That they're human, and it's, it's oh. doesn't one of them claim to be unicorn? At some yeah, point? it's like who, would, who, who programmed. <laughs> a chatbot that at some point would go oh yeah I'm a, I'm a unicorn as if that would throw a human being off the scent oh I thought they were a robot but I, I not, think they're probably a unicorn I'm not a robot I'm a unicorn <laughs> it's kind of one of these kind of surrealist jokes isn't it so do they get can they, I mean can they mimic humour I mean if, if the, the extent of chatbot humour is I'm not a robot I'm a unicorn that's pretty weak I mean that wouldn't that wouldn't go down very well at Bright Club for example no exactly but I mean for a human I'll say if that was a human so these are two robots talking to each other and yeah. obviously the other chatbot does not uh, pick up on the kind of humour of that yes, whereas yeah. another human could be like okay fine if you're a unicorn I'm a mushroom and, 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 right. you know, and then you'd start the and then you'd see whether the robot responded appropriately to Ex- that comment okay. exactly I mean this comes back to something we discussed last week when you talked about sentiment analysis yeah so it's also I mean obviously that, that's got the additional layer of the computer being able to to respond appropriately, but also understanding the context and, and, exactly. and, and the sort of sentiment of what's being said, that's that seems to tie into yeah, this, this broad field of artificial intelligence. Exactly, it all all ties into the kind of the ultimate goal is to have ubiquitous computers, the computers that we interact with without realizing that we're react, we're interacting with it. So we've been talking about artificial intelligence. Uh, let's move on to a man with natural intelligence. This week, Steve has been catching up with Dr. James Cheshire. So this afternoon, I'm sitting here with CASA's newest lecturer, uh, Dr. James Cheshire. Hello, James. Hi, Steve. Talk to us a bit about your PhD that you've just passed. So, yeah, I've just um, spent the last three years looking at people's um, surnames and their their respective geographies. So um, I've been looking at how surnames are scattered across um, Great Britain and the rest of Europe and seeing what kind of interesting stories we can tell um, based on um, their geography. There's three types of names, let's say, uh, if we focus on Great Britain. So really common names like Smith and Jones, and uh, they don't really tell us anything that interesting because there are so many Smiths and Joneses around, whereas the um, sort of next set of names are far less common um, and what they tend to tell us uh, is more interesting because they're the ones that tend to be focused into specific areas. You can kind of look at the history of a name over time and you can see whether that name has spread um, to different parts of the UK or whether it's shrunk over time. So you've got the records of like surnames for like, for a long period of time? We, we've, we've got the records for 100 years. So we have the 2001 electoral roll. Okay. Um, which has the names and addresses of, of almost everyone. And the other thing we have is the 1881 census. So that was okay. one of the first censuses ever done in, right. in, in Britain. And what it does is it, um, again, has the names and addresses of, of everyone who was registered. Obviously, it's not quite as reliable as the, the current electoral roll, as still many people back then couldn't 
uh, even spell their own names. So it was reliant on the person collecting the information to to write the name for them. Okay, and, and I suppose that would bring in the errors of kind of spelling different spellings of names and different derivatives of names. Yeah, we have different spellings, and also you're never quite sure where their addresses are or or the way that the kind of geography was configured so nowadays it's very strict you have these things called um, census output areas and everything is very well organized in that sense in 1881 it was much more kind of fluid it was more um, the boundaries between different electoral districts were much were sort of fuzzier really so the burning question i've got is from 1881 right through to kind of the the present day what have been the major changes there have been surprisingly few actually um some surnames have moved um and there are many more surnames today than there were back in 1881 and that's because we've had so many people migrate into this country over the last yeah. 100 years or so um and also people it's becoming more common that people are kind of you know doing double-barreled names and adding bits and pieces to, to distinguish themselves. And what you also end up um, with is, is some names dying out. So, for example, um, in 1881, there are many people called Smelly, but you don't find them today. There's <laughs> no, no Smellies around. No Smellies around. No, um, and so, for whatever reason, they've chosen to change their name. Um, but actually, sort of the underlying geography, the kind of... Um, the kind of spatial distributions as we call it of the names has have remained surprisingly consistent so if you group the names into regions of similarity the, the regions themselves remain quite consistent over time which is really surprising given kind of you think of the things that have happened over the last hundred or so years so what next how, how are you going to push this research forward so one of the things my research has done is it's one of the well it is the first kind of um, attempt really to automatically assign surnames to places of origin um, simply based on um, you know mapping the, the, the distribution so mapping where where they're found um, in the past many of these uh, maps have been created or similar maps have been created but they've had to be done manually people trawling through yeah. sort of handwritten records of sort of parish registers and so on so the nice thing about my research is it's completely automated, it's completely electronic. So as new data become available, so some old censuses, for example, have been digitised, what we can do is we can just plug the data into the kind of the, the um, processes that I've developed, so we can use the software that I've, I've developed, and it will produce maps, and it, as I have done already, and, and what you can then do is see how the names are evolving over time. So have you created any visualisations of this data? I've been lucky enough to do a couple of kind of uh, online maps that um, have been really popular. Um, and what I've, what I've done is, um, the first is sort of collaborating with people at the National Geographic. We came up with so this the National idea. Geographic magazine as in the big, big publication. Yeah, that's the one. And yep. the doctor's waiting rooms and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and they've taken the idea of these um, word clouds, so where you you see a, um, a cluster of words together, the bigger the words, the more frequent. Um, okay, yeah. The, the thing is, like so, things in blogs. Exactly, yeah. and we've we've taken these this scaled text, 
and we've actually put it into a geographic context so we've actually mapped the words where they occur in this case it's oh. people's surnames okay so for the national geographic we did a um, map of the most popular surnames in each state and we colored the names by their places of origin which of course in the u.s is all around the world it's not just yeah you won't get many names originating in the u.s um uh and that produced like a really nice sort of engaging visualization that that was really popular i think um both when it was printed in the magazine and also um they did an online version and then obviously that's for the for the for the u.s and i thought well i'd, I'd like to do something that's closer to home so um i took the same idea and i've mapped it i've mapped uh london we have an interactive map uh of london so we can, uh, you can just scroll through the most 15 most popular names in in each part of london um and again i've colored them according to the place where the name originated not necessarily the person that has the name but the, the name itself um and also the size of the text is how many people um are in that area with a with a particular name cool I should also take this opportunity to say congratulations on your uh, new appointment as lecturer at CASA. So congratulations. Thanks very much. So what are you going to be doing as part of your new job? So the the new job is to, to help out and to start working on the, the new uh, MRES in advanced spatial analysis visualisation that, that CASA has started. The thing that I'll be teaching is something called the Introduction to Geographic Information Systems and Science. and that's really all about the sorts of tools that people use when they're using or when they're analyzing um, spatial data so spatial data is um, kind of anything that has um, kind of latitude or longitude or, or geographic reference to it um, and geographic information systems have been designed to handle this data and, okay. uh, and uh, kind of make the most of it really ultimately making the kind of maps that you've been making on your blog yeah that that kind of thing so maps that um are accessible for people easily understandable and, and and importantly quite representative of the um phenomena of interest so we're not trying to mislead anyone in the the maps and visualizations that we create so if anyone listening wants to see the work you've been producing where can they go they can go to my research blog which is spatialanalysis.co.uk or if they have particular interests in London, then they can go to um, another blog that I run with um, a colleague, Oliver O'Brien, which is mappinglondon.co.uk. I should urge everyone listening to go and have a look at that. Some really nice pictures and some really nice visuals there. And uh, all that's left to say is thanks, James, for your time. Thanks for having me, Steve. Another fantastic episode of The Global Lab is coming to a close and if you've got any comments or questions or just like to get in touch with us uh, and tell us what a fantastic job we're doing uh, that would be most welcome yeah, uh, you, <laughs> you can do that uh, by visiting our website www.thegloballab.com uh, You can follow us on Twitter the, at The Global Lab or you can send us an old-fashioned steam-powered email thegloballab at gmail.com So until next time, uh, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.